0: It's not a zero sum game. The answer is I can leverage technology and automation and I can actually drive efficiency, drive optimization and improve the experience and create business outcomes and drive transformation. I can do all of it at once if I look at it from the right perspective.
1: Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead and how we win. From InterVision, This is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft and propel their IT vision. It seems like IT professionals have been focused on the same three things for 40 years or more process optimization, driving efficiency, and cost reduction with a heavy emphasis on cost reduction. Despite this focus, it seems like we've hit this plateau of sorts. The gains are minimal. At the same time, we have entered this digital era, and IT professionals are being called upon to drive digital transformation within their organizations. But these efforts have been unsuccessful many times. They seem to be diametrically opposed to what we've been doing for decades. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host Jeff Tun. Today, we are going to explore this plateau we seem to have encountered, and what you can do to jumpstart your efficiency gains and your transformation efforts. Our guest today is best-selling author and the founder of the Digital Experience Report, Charlie Oraho. Welcome back to Status Go, Charlie.
0: Always a pleasure to be with you, Jeff. Though. I always have so much fun at these.
1: I was trying to, uh, I, I need to go back and look. This is either number three or number four for you. You may be the most prolific guest that we've had in uh, our 210 uh, episodes or so. So very excited about
0: it. Yeah, or, or you just can't shut me up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's always a great organization. All a or great organization. It's always a great conversation. Um, and uh, um Many of you know I'm a I'm a fan of Charlie's work. I I, I quote him oftentimes, uh, and used uh, used one of his books uh, as kind of my guide to running IT departments for a number of years. And I'm sure that'll come up as we're going through this conversation today. So Charlie, let's start with the problem this this plateau. Uh, and I know in this this work that you're involved in right now, you've kind of explored this plateau what's what's causing us to feel like we've stagnated here
0: well i think you hit it right in the the intro that so so this report that i'm working on um and it should be i don't know exactly when, but it will be published soon and it's it's basically about this idea of transforming no pun intended the way we view automation and shifting it, as you said, away from this exclusive focus on efficiency and optimization and recognizing that leveraged appropriately, it becomes a transformational tool. But I think to answer your question, the plateau is because, uh, I think there's a few reasons, but, but at its core, the promise of technology, the promise of automation at its core, has always been that you deploy it and you can drive efficiency and optimization in your organization. That's what it was always about. And while I will argue there is always this tinge of this transformational story, the real challenge is that the combination of organizational complexity and the lack of the technology being up to snuff in the early days meant that anyone who sort of went down that bigger picture road got stymied. And so what we saw was that automation efforts got very narrowly focused in these sort of functional domains, right, where we had... Mm -hmm. I don't want to call it small automation, because sometimes these were very big, you know, important efforts, but they tend to be aligned to these functional silos, right? That that we're automating what's happening within this specific um, area of an organization and not looking at it from sort of across the organization. And I think that there was, there was so much fertile ground for so long that that was just fine. But, but mm-hmm. I think much of that much of those gains have now been realized. And so you started to, we're starting to run into the limits of that type of functionally driven, um, benefit from, from automation. And then this, this myopic sort of focus on efficiency becomes the sort of the second inhibitor.
1: So I, I love the statement that that's really kind of why technology was brought into the business in the first place was for, uh, process optimization, process automation, and efficiency gains. Um, But I think uh, uh, the other side of that is because we hadn't entered the digital era yet. Uh, So there wasn't this consumerization of IT and all these things that we're seeing uh, driving that. And and I think in some cases, uh, and and you point out that um, we get stuck thinking about the problems the way we've always thought about the problems. Um, And even, even the concept, and I love your thoughts on, on this, this would have been, gosh, probably 20 years ago, might be longer ago than that. Now Uh, I'll, I'll date myself. The concept of process owners was an attempt to look across the organization, right? We had order to cash as as a process and we tried to do that. Was that an early attempt at, Trying to solve this plateau.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know that it was a plateau at that time, but it was. It it hints to what I was talking about. That I think there's always been this this tinge of transformation long before we talked about digital transformation, um, where that was sort of like you you know some big thinkers thought, "Wow, look at what we could do with this." The the I would I would argue goes all the way back thirty years to the business process reengineering craze. Um, that that really was this attempt to deal with these, right? Where we're going to look mm-hmm. entire, end-to-end, order-to-cash these big, giant things. I, I, I almost am sheepish to admit, but I was a integral part of a very large, you know, nine-digit project to try to address some of those. And they almost universally failed miserably. And, you know, part of it is when you're talking about a, you know, multi-billion, multinational organization and this big, giant process running across it, right? You've got just all this organizational complexity. But the reality is that it was also a technology gap because the technology that we've been using up until the last decade or so was highly, we'll call it highly prescriptive, right? It, 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 it was working off this premise that I could go into an organization, I could somehow define this big giant order to cash process. We'll just keep picking on it, mm-hmm. yeah, and that yeah, somehow yeah. that was going to be the process that everybody across the organization used every single time. Now you need to spend a whopping maybe thirty seconds inside an organization to know <laughs> that is just not <laughs> true, right? And so, so we had these technologies that required this high level of prescription, high level of rigidity to actually make them work. And the minute you put them into production, they started failing because that isn't how an organization actually functions. And so I would argue that, that while there was an, an interest and desire from the beginning, maybe not the very beginning, but from the beginning at some point, the technology was such that it couldn't do that. So we ended up seeing, seeing these, these efforts become reduced to a scope that we could actually manage against. And so I think that's what sort of led us here, right? And, um, but I think there's always been a desire for this transformative piece if we could get there.
1: So, talk uh, a little bit about uh, this this tension that that you describe between the two sides of that coin. And I, I referenced it in the opening. Uh, you know, we've been doing this for forty years: this efficiency, this automation, and now we're talking about transformation. And I know you have been you have been preaching and evangelizing transformation for a couple of decades probably uh, um, through, through your work. How, how do we balance the two of those as, uh, as, as you know, our, our audience uh, here on status go are it professionals Uh, many of them have been doing it for as long as you and I have. Uh, How do we balance those, the tension between those two things?
0: So I don't. I don't want to say that the tension doesn't exist, and and you're speaking from the the hard, you know, hard reality that that we've all gone through. But I will push back and say that the way we deal with that is to shift our view and not look at it as a tension, not look at it as I can only get so much of this and so much of that to make this work, and instead change the perspective and say how can we in fact create opportunities where we are simultaneously driving efficiency and enabling transformation. And, and I would argue that it can be a bit of your North Star or your, your um, truth, you know, magic truth serum, because if you are questioning whether or not you are being effective at this, that will tell you, you will know you're getting this right when you are somewhat effortlessly doing both at the same time. And I'll give you a a classic example. Um, I I don't know if he gave me permission to quote him, so I'm not gonna name him, but a CIO um, who is an executive at at one of the largest health health providers in the country um, was telling me the story of how they had some durable medical equipment sitting in um, clinical care areas that was very prone to outages that it was, right? Mm -hmm. So this was, you know, balancing the line between traditional IT and OT sort of functionality, Um, but it was critical to patient care. Um, It was also critical to billing because if the systems were down, they couldn't provide the service, they couldn't bill for it. So it had a revenue component. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they deployed a piece of technology that um, was analytic driven. So they instrumented this technology and were able to collect data, not only detect if they were down in advance, but also um, identify if Um, if it was a high high likelihood that they were going to fail and preemptively replace them or fix them. And it was this sort of miraculous thing because on the one hand, they were delivering a much better patient experience. You showed up at the hospital, you never had to get deferred because the equipment wasn't working. There was never a delay in delivering of care, but they also cut their costs by 40% because they didn't have to send all these people running around to fix this stuff. Oh, and they increased their billing. So it's like they managed to do all of it at once using a single automation effort to solve this problem. And so when you're able to do that, and, and there are like countless examples like that, um, what you find is you're able to do both. That, that It's not a zero-sum game. That The answer is I can leverage technology and automation, particularly with sort of this modern um, incarnation of the way that technology is, is now enabling us to be very flexible and dynamic. And I that I can actually drive efficiency, drive optimization, and improve the experience, and create business outcomes, and drive transformation. I can do all of it at once if I look at it from the right perspective.
1: And so, in your in your paper, you start to talk about that. Well, you you do talk about that. How, how do how do we begin to broaden that that mindset, that that approach to looking at these problems?
0: So, I think the biggest challenge that organizations have had because of all of the, the history that we talked about, is that they got into this very functional mindset. We came in, and it's the, it's the very first thing we do, and I'm an old project manager, so I was just as guilty of this as anybody, but you'd go into a project, and the very first thing you would do is try to define and refine the scope to limit your exposure, right? So I would like, how can I cut people out to say I'm only going to focus on this narrow band so that I can ensure the success of this project? the truth is that in order to do what i just talked about those efficiency gains are rarely going to be found within a functional domain anymore those experiential domains are rarely going to live exclusively within a functional domain so almost by definition to achieve what we just talked about you are going to have to operate on a cross functional basis on starting to tackle these big hairy processes that we talked about whether that's you know the traditional order to cash or more customer experience driven type processes where i'm looking at a patient flow or a customer flow through an entire life cycle and saying, what is what are they touching at every step of the way? And almost by definition, it's going to cross multiple process areas, multiple functional domains, leverage multiple technologies, and it's going to make it much more complex to deal with. But it's in those gaps that you're going to find those efficiency gains that allow you to pay for the experiential gains, which will drive business outcomes and top line revenue. Right. It's all it, it's Like if you ever watched, uh, if you're a fan of the Olympics during the relay races, you Uh know, there's all these components, but the big, big thing is the handoff, the efficiency of the handoff, whether they drop it, whether they, you know, how smooth the handoff is almost always the difference, right? Because it is so volatile, so ripe for, for a gap. Well, it's the exact same thing within our organizations. It's those touch points between processes, between organizations, between functional domains that are the, the places where these gaps um, not only appear most most um, significantly, but they're also the places that we haven't touched, right? So yeah. that's where you can start focusing. So I think if, when you start looking at things in this cross-functional manner, it just changes the game.
1: Yeah, I, and I, I love that metaphor of the Olympic relay races because uh, the the critical points are are those handoffs. Very rarely do you see that baton dropped when it's not. Uh, in a handoff mode, right? The, the, they've got a good grip on it and they know where they're going. Uh, now, the, the other area that you talk about in your paper that's leading to uh, some of this uh, uh, plateau and, and uh, smaller gains is uh, clarity, accountability, and governance. Um, how, what, where's that coming into play in this process?
0: What sort of the side effect, meaning that it's sort of the metaphor for everything that's going on with NIT today is that the biggest challenges are complexity, right? We, you know, Mm -hmm. back when you and I were in our our heyday, things were just much simpler. I mean, I don't want to minimize the job we did, but oh my gosh, it is so much harder to do the same job we did 20 years ago today. The complexity Mm -hmm. is off the charts in terms of number of applications, number of systems, the interconnections between them, the interconnections between our systems and systems that are outside of our control, whether those are in the cloud or with partners or, you know, and then you layer on top of that, these massive now experiential demands where, you know, it was, I I tell the old story. I worked in healthcare that um, I went to this uh, admitting department and the the downtime forms were sitting out and the downtime form is what you use when the systems were not working. And, you know, they were out because our systems were failing all the time and they didn't even care. It was like a, just an annoyance, you know, today, I mean, patients are going home or they're, you know having a catastrophic clinical event i mean this is the, the stakes are so much higher now the complexity is so much higher the expectations are so much higher so so all of this is 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 really really challenging to deal with and so so when i someone like me you know the pundit who doesn't have to do the job anymore says hey you know you need to go and deal with this cross functional the natural reaction is like, oh, no, oh, heck no, right? All that does is increase risk. It makes it so much harder to manage the scope. It makes it so much, ha- ma- and, and because what I haven't talked about yet, but almost by definition, if I'm going to create these sort of cross-functional automation that really drives transformation, I'm going to have to deeply engage the people on the front lines doing this yeah. work because they're going to have to participate in this. And so now I'm opening up that whole can of worms. So So the question is, how do you do that? Well the answer is you've got to put a ton of emphasis on governance and controls and management to do it in a way that that protects you, that minimizes and mitigates that risk without constraining. Mm-hmm. right Because the yeah. challenge that we've historically approached, you know the way we've historically approached this is to just lock everything down. I can't you know I can't mess it up if it's all right. nice and safe and secure. Like I used to tell people, if you want to not have any outages by change, easy, don't make any changes. But that's just not pragmatic, right? And so, so the idea of of using governance controls becomes, I would argue, a strategic asset. Um, And this is going to tie into that means you've got to get it embedded into the tools you're using because if it's not, Mm -hmm. then the whole thing falls apart. But, but, but that's why it's so critical.
1: Well, we're gonna we're gonna pause right there, Charlie, for a word from Intervision Systems. Uh, intervision is the publisher of the status go podcast and when we come back i want to shift gears to the tools unlock the power of more with intervision systems we provide the cutting edge technology and expert guidance you need to take your business to the next level. Don't settle for less. Choose InterVision Systems and discover what's possible. Contact us now to learn more. And if you do want to learn more, visit intervision.com and you can find lots of information on their services and their products there. We're speaking today with author Charlie Arajo, and we're talking about the the tension and the ultimate solution between uh, hitting a plateau in trying to drive efficiency gains, process automation, uh, and, and cost savings in technology, with the mandate to transform our businesses. And so, Charlie, I want to come back to that conversation where we where we left off, and pivot now to talk about some of the tools that. Uh, are going to be needed to be able to do this kind of cross functional uh process optimization and automation so let's start there
0: yeah sure uh you know first of all, there's no one tool I think there's lots of moving parts to it that's why it's it's a massive industry <laughs> um <laughs> That, that is out there. But I think there's a handful. I mean, clearly things like data integration tools and platforms are critical because we need to be able to move data and connect our systems. But one of the things, um, and, and the terminology is changing around all of this, but the idea of what have been called low code and no code um, platforms are increasingly being called you know, either application development platforms or automation platforms. Sometimes they're called workflow um, autom- There's a bunch of different terms. And, and, and it's all blending together ServiceNow historically wouldn't have been in this space, but with some of their n- new releases, for instance, they're now you know largely considered a workflow automation tool. So there's a whole bunch of bleeding together, um, but but I actually think this this broad category um, is critical to this for two reasons. Um, but there's some big big caveats here um, because the 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 real key here is going to be speed and agility. How quickly. Can you deploy an automation? Right, see the problem, see the gap, identify, and you know, even though we've been talking about this big end-to-end cross-functional, sometimes the gap is is a small cross-functional. Right, I've got two departments, mm-hmm. and I've got an issue between these two, and but and so it's still the cross-functional. But it maybe is I can I can be tactical. I can go and like, hey, let's solve this problem. I can get a massive experiential gain out of it. Um, so the ability to move quickly and be agile with it, and then the second thing is, um, as we, as I alluded to, is that the untapped resource in most organizations are the people on the front lines who are literally executing these processes, living them day to day. And if you go ask them, they'll tell you exactly what's wrong. They'll tell you exactly where those breaks <laughs> are. And if in you can give detail. them tools, oh, very much so. <laughs> if you can give them tools to participate in the process to um, you know not code but to actually get into a tool and say this is what it should look like or this is how it should flow um, then it suddenly becomes a very very powerful process and so mm-hmm. while in general I think the entire like low code no code space is going to help with this overall I think there's you know the there there's a set of tools out there that are a little bit more focused on what, it, what is really called either model driven or abstraction level um, approaches. And what that really means is we're not, we're not building these sort of rigid um, structures, right? Because sometimes that's what happens. You just go, it, you're just creating another silo or another, you know, rigidity. What we're really doing is creating these dynamic flows that, that we can rapidly pivot and adapt um, as we go. And so, you know, when I'm advising people to what kind of tools they're looking for, is you want something that first and foremost enables collaboration. It allows people across your organization, right? The definition of cross is I've got different stakeholders that are all looking at from a different perspective. And I don't want to do the traditional IT approach of, hey, you tell us what you need and we'll go away for six months and build it, right? We, we want to yeah. have a collaborative model where we're collectively building this thing and iter- iterating on it as we go. Um, you need to have that governance that we talked about where I can create safety zones where people can go and experiment and build and test things out. And I'm not worried about them blowing up our systems. Right. So I can, you know, but I still have to give them access to all of it. I need, you know, none of these things are going to work well if they work in isolation. So I'm having that element. And then, um, and there's another one, which I'm blanking at the moment, but, but, you know, pulling all these pieces together and, and doing it from a tooling perspective or letting the tool be the enabler is I think really, really critical to that
1: where does where does rpa fit in all this you you mentioned uh, low code and no code but uh, i'm hearing a lot about rpa uh does it provide what you're talking about in here uh
0: not so i'll say it's a part of it meaning that okay um, so so rpa for for those that you know aren't have been living under a rock maybe is robotic robotic process automation um and and it's it's morphing as well as his entire space. So here's, here's my big frustration is that somehow you got to hand it to the RPA vendors. The RPA vendors have managed to completely co opt the term automation. If you do a search for automation on Google or whatever, now um, almost everything that comes up is RPA and RPA uh-huh. is one small sliver of the automation landscape. Um, you know, it's very, very effective at taking particularly those legacy processes that use legacy systems that were very difficult to automate and providing a, an automation layer that can sit on top of those and do these highly repetitive, um, but also highly prescriptive tasks, meaning I'm able to... So the big challenge with RPA historically is that it's been very fragile. And so if, if there was any variability or anything that could change, then that might fall apart. Um, so when I'm thinking about this sort of end-to-end process automation and, and tools that enable that, um, what you what you see is that they're able to connect. So I may, as I look at that end-to-end process, have a component where I'm going to use RPA to automate that component. But it's living as part of a broader process that I'm automating um, to do that. I, I was talking to a, another CIO that used this exact example to help with um, patient inflows, so another healthcare company, where mm-hmm. they were um, they had patients that were coming in and had to, had to fill out this form. And it was a legacy-type form that was connected. So he used RPA to digitize that, but then once it was digitized, plugged it into a broader automation system that allowed it to flow through their, their environment um, and, and kind of hit the cross-functional. So, um, you know, there, there's a handful of tools out there. Um, when a, one of my clients is Agile Point, and they're the company that nobody's ever heard of, but they are built specifically around this sort of layer um, of allowing people to, to do this. And the, I mean, they were very, you know, I, it's overused be ahead of their time, but I mean, they, they saw this 20 years ago where about this need for getting the, what we didn't, they didn't call it then, right. But citizen developers or the, the end yeah, user yeah. engaged in the process, but to create these safety nets around them and being model driven it's, um, so, you know, but they're not alone. There's a bunch of uh, vendors out there or a few, I should say, not a bunch, but a few vendors out there that, that sort of understand all of this. Um, and are i I think the ones that will be the gateway to helping organizations solve some of these sorts of problems
1: now you were gracious enough to provide me with an advanced copy of this white paper this guidebook that you're you're writing uh and i I gotta tell you there's a there's a section in there that gave me pause uh and that is uh the power of a digital transformation platform what's a digital transformation platform
0: So, um, full disclaimer, I did not come up with that term. Um, And in fact, in my research for this report, I was talking to an executive at a consulting firm um, that gave me this term. And, you know, hey, one of the things I did is I founded the Institute for Digital Transformation. You'd think I would have coined the term digital transformation platform, but I didn't. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So um, his his terminology for it, and, and there's a description in the report, but basically, um, sort of what I described that it's a yeah. it is a platform whose primary purpose is to enable um, the transformation, you know, a, the, to create a transformational engine, and and really by doing mm-hmm. what what I've talked about, that it sits there and can ingest and connect to legacy line of business applications or so all your typical ERP or maybe an HR system or whatever that is already doing some component of it, but then is the glue that allows you to create that end-to-end automation because almost any process that we would talk about is going to touch multiple of these other systems. And and I think it, mm-hmm. what it touches on is that something that would certainly strike fear into me if I was a CIO today and said, that someone said, Oh, that sounds really great. But to achieve this, I have to throw everything out. It's like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> and so the right. whole premise right. here is that a digital transformation platform is something that you can stick in the middle and it becomes this almost orchestration layer that it allows you to, A, you may build some bespoke apps on top of it that are enable, you know, filling gaps that don't exist from an automation, but then it's also connecting the the parts of your disparate pie underneath. So it's, it's doing a degree of data integration. It's doing a degree of workflow automation. It's doing all these sort of components. And so that's what they call him. He calls them the, this digital transformation platform. Um, I think it's a great term. It's just not one that is actually used all that much um, in the industry at this point.
1: Yeah, I, because uh, as you know, the, the Institute just recently put out a, a book called Digital Transformation Demystified. Uh, and the, the, the point of that book is there is not one process and there's not one tool, uh, right? And so I, I read that and it's like, hmm, that's interesting. I need to ask Charlie about that. Um uh, so so That's it's right. it's really a collection. Uh there's not a I'm not going to go out and buy the product called digital transformation platform today.
0: Yeah, well so I mean in, in I guess in full disclosure this this gentleman and I hate to say this I don't remember who it was right now I think it may have been Justin but um he, yes, uh, was. Justin, Justin Okay. So he he is um you know he's calling agile point a a digital transformation platform but okay. the point of it okay. is the the totality of the platform is not so you know in that case a tool like that is at the center of it but it's you know so i guess it's all about how you want to look at it if if there's something in the center that's acting as an orchestration layer but the entire quote-unquote platform is really all of it it's the entire ecosystem that you have of 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 systems that are necessary to to execute and drive transformation and i think that the here's my big takeaway from it the reason he called them digital transformation platforms, is that by acting as that center orchestration layer, what it, it does is becomes the vehicle for transformation, right? Why do people yeah. stop and you, you know, you and I've talked a lot about this from a leadership and organizational cultural perspective. What holds people back from actually creating change for good in their organizations? It's mm-hmm. it's typically the fear of I don't know what's gonna happen on the other side if I make this change. And the rigidity of all the systems that I'm going to have to change to make, to affect that, right? So the premise here is that by putting this tool in the middle, I can mitigate both of those. I can iterate rapidly so I don't have to go and dive in and and risk my entire career to do this. And I don't have to throw everything out. I can can use this as a platform to connect whatever I need to connect to achieve the change I'm trying to achieve.
1: It becomes an enabler. Of, of, the, exactly. of the change. Yeah. Yeah. So Charlie, we're almost out of time here and I, I want to ask you, what haven't I asked you about automation and uh, this guidebook that you've
0: written? Well, first of all, as always, you did a great job. I think you've covered the vast majority of all of it. I think, I think the big takeaway, so this, this report, um, I'm not sure, I guess what I'm calling it a report. Um, it's long. This isn't a typical white paper. It's almost 6,000 words. It goes into a yeah. lot of depth of both plumbing, you know, why we got here, right? The problems yeah. that we talked about that, that have led us here. And, and that's always used. You know, it's sort of uncouth anymore into, to kind of go deep and talk about some of the history of why we ended up in the places we end up. But I believe it's really important, especially in this context, because if you, if you don't really grasp why we got stuck here or how we got stuck here, you're going to have a really hard time breaking through it because it's like these invisible forces that are holding you back. Um, And so, you know, to me, the big, the big takeaway, so I don't think you didn't ask this, but just to double click on it is that, that it is completely possible to transform the way you look at applying automation in your organization, in which it becomes the simultaneous tool for the efficiency that you've always been leveraging automation to drive and this, you know, to turn it into a digital transformation platform to create this enabler. And what I would really argue in the end is a capability, right? That's what you should really be striving to achieve as a as a CIO or as an enterprise IT leader is how can I build this transformational capability? Build, and yeah. it it is going to be a combination of yes, tooling, but also the mindset shift. But the reason the tooling is important is it is really hard to drive that mindset shift if the tooling is going to hold them back. It's, if the tooling is that barrier, then it's really hard to get people out of this is how we've always done it. And so, you know, there's a couple I, I write in the report a couple, a couple parts of that mindset shift, like starting every process by saying, who else is involved in this? Who is this going to impact? Mm-hmm. Right? Doing the opposite of what we historically have done, which is narrow our scope and instead immediately expand it. Go, how can I look at the big picture here? To make sure I'm identifying those opportunities, um, breaking through the functional silos, all the cultural and and corporate dynamics that exist, right? That's a cultural element, but it's really hard to break through that if if I've got you know ownership at these application silo levels that people don't want to share and you know are afraid it's you're going to mess up my process, right? And so one of the things that one of the execs I was talking to said, when you do this right, everyone can work however they want to work. I, you can you can work in your functional area exactly how is best for you. I can work exactly how is best for me, and then we can create this layer on top that allows us to work together without either of mm-hmm. us being hampered by that. Right? That's when this starts to really become transformational. And so I, I think you know the the trick is that this is really a cultural abstraction layer. It's it's using sort of this next generation of tools to step back and see that bigger picture and imagine what those possibilities are. And, and so that imagination gap, closing, You know, changing some mindsets, I think is the big, big thing that has to happen um, in addition to leveraging, a, say, a tool that makes it possible to actually achieve this.
1: Yeah, I, I love the, the digital transformation capability, uh, having that added to your toolbox of capabilities in IT. I think that makes a a tremendous amount of sense because transformation isn't a one and done. You need to be able to keep using that tool. Uh, Charlie, here on Status Go, we'd love to leave our listeners with a very strong call to action. So what's one or two things that you would suggest our listeners do tomorrow because they listened to our conversation today?
0: So if there's one challenge with with what this report is talking about and everything we've covered today, is that this is big, right? This isn't the hey tactical. I can go make this one little change. And so, um, this is this is a journey. But as the old saying goes, right, a journey of a, of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And so, the question is, what is that single step? And and to me, I think a thought exercise is actually really powerful. Here yeah. is go identify a a business process that is truly critical to the organization and say, what would happen if I changed my perspective and looked at this holistically on an end-to-end basis? Or where is there a functional gap that everybody knows about and everyone's afraid to talk about, right? Because we all, I mean, and that happens routinely, right? We all know that this process really sucks at this handoff point, at that baton pass, but no one's afraid to, you know, no one is is willing to go and, and address that because it's so, rife with issues and then you know once you've identified it go through the solid exercise of saying if i threw away all the rigidity that i you know sort of have baked in of my traditional tooling and approaches and could truly reimagine this what would it look like and then use that as the vehicle to begin the mindset shift and then how you might re re reimagine how you're leveraging the tooling to actually achieve that and i think um You know, it's it's just starting to open, open, I don't want to say open your eyes, but just changing the way you look at things and being yeah. open to the new, some new ideas.
1: I, I, I love that to, to identify a critical business process and look at it from a different perspective. Because you're right, we, we end up looking at them the same way all the time. Change your perspective and see if you see an opportunity there. Charlie, thank you so much for carving out time. To talk with us. I I know you are incredibly busy and I appreciate the moments that we have to to catch up, even if the mic's on while we're doing it.
0: Always love being being in a room, virtual or otherwise, with you, Jeff, and having these conversations. They are always great, and I hope others get value from them.
1: To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. And if possible, we will link to this uh, report when it's available, because it is a great report, and I'd love for all of our listeners to to read it. This is Jeff Tunn for Charlie Orajo. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook,
0: LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.